Oh, thank you very much. Um, I'm sure that none of you really want to have another big lectures or academic exercise listening to, you know, theories and all that. So what we're going to talk about this morning about worship as our spiritual discipline is really about our heart being reset before God. And what I'm going to do today is just going to share a little bit of my life with you and my journey and then tied it in with the passage that was just read, Psalm 100. Is that good? So, I was always wondering that what would it be like for me to come back to my alma mater and speak in the student chapel? I thought I would never get the opportunity, but George had mercy on me. And uh, I'm so glad that I You've given me the privilege to just come and share a little bit. I graduated from Tyndale, 1981, with a Bachelor of Theology. And uh, I remember one of the theology teachers, whose name I would not mention, uh, said to us when we were in the class, and he said, students, before you came to Tyndale, you know nothing about theology. And after you graduate, you'll become a confused theologian. So I thought, okay, after four years of my Bachelor of Theology, I thought, I, I'm a little bit still confused because there's so much to learn, and I, f I felt that I wasn't ready to get into uh, ministry yet. So I've decided to apply for my master's degree uh, at, at Regent College. So I went to Regent in 1981 to 84. That's a journey. I left everyone that I knew in my life since I've arrived Toronto in 1974 and went to Vancouver, didn't know anybody. I had to find a place and so on. And I tell you, when I arrived in Vancouver, the mountain and the sea, the ocean, oh man, what a glorious moment. I arrived and I look up, wow. And for the first four days, it was sunny and bright and, and I was brimmed with hope and enthusiasm to get right into my master's degree. And after four days, I don't know what hell is like, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't as bad, but it was terrible. It was raining from the fifth day on to the remaining almost the rest of the year. I had no friends, and I was going out with a girl at that time. She was in Toronto. You know how that goes, right? Long distance. It's tough. And uh, every day I had to wait on 41st Avenue. I was living uh, an hour away from campus, and drizzling rain, damp. And it was kind of a depressing moment. Financially, it was tight. I didn't know whether I would have enough money to finish my year. Uh, my dad supported me a little bit, but I was banking on the church's support and so on. So I, in my mind, I've got to find a church that will allow me to serve there and maybe great, uh, you know, graciously gave me some money to finish my, my education for that year. And then when I stepped into Regent College, I think George would understand because we are there, he was there before. The first day I stepped in, 
the first group of people were a bunch of female students, and they were all holding a big Hebrew Bible. Original language. I say, uh, I know Greek when I was at Tyndale, but Hebrew. And then the next wave of people coming was a bunch of guys carrying on just the Koine Greek New Testament texts. I said, oh man, I was so intimidated. And the first lecture I went to was about principle of interpretation. That textbook required me to have a dictionary of philosophy so that I could understand it. The Two Horizons by Anthony Thistleton. I left Toronto with a sense of confidence because, hey, I was a pretty good student here, four-point average and all. But when I got there, my fear just, I was stressed. I was lonely. Fear of failure, loss of self-confidence. And you know what really got me? Shortly after I arrived in Toronto, I got a phone call from my girlfriend then. We are done. What a gutless girl. <laughs> Couldn't wait till I go back. Had to do it over the phone. And you know what is more depressing? I just bought a ticket on sale to go back to Toronto for Christmas to see her again. And I have to return the ticket, and I lost 50 bucks of my life at that time. <laughs> 1981 is a lot of money, buddy. That week, I walked into student chapel, weekly worship. What was in my mind during that time when I go into chapel? I was desperate for friends. I was yearning for a genuine community. I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for comfort and peace in my, of, of my heart because I, my heart was broken and shattered by this girl. I was hoping that somehow I could manage the academic demand and, and performed and not fail and succeed so that I could be approved in the eyes of men and maybe in the eyes of God. But really, at the end of the day, when I walked into this service, I wanted that God would answer my prayer to change my ex-girlfriend's heart and call me back. I want you back. That didn't happen. But something happened in that corporate worship. Just like Melissa led you in worship in songs, somebody led worship and started to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. I was able to sing the first few sentences, and then I lost it. I lost it. I wept. I was drowned, drowned in my tears and sadness and brokenness.
as you enter this chapel this morning, what baggage and burden are you carrying? What hurt do you have right now? What are some of the cries of your heart? In fact, I want to ask you this question. How is your soul right now? And what are you hoping to receive or get from this hour of worship? See, corporate worship could easily become a consumer-driven, self-indulging, entitlement-oriented gathering of a group of self-seeking worshipers whose idea of spiritual renewal is really more about getting God to do what we want. Feeding the addiction of self-worship. Making God in our image rather than worshiping God whose image we will make. When you walk into this service for this worship moment, Are you seeking to get what you want from God? Are you looking for that self-made idols? Somehow, you'll feel better. You know, one of the major critiques by people like Feuerbach or Karl Marx about religion is that Our belief in God is nothing more than our own projection of what we desire. Is that what we're doing when we get together? Are you doing that right now when you come into this worship service? I walk into that worship service with all these baggages in my heart, in my mind. Stress, hurt, brokenness in my heart. But in that midst of confusing and mixed feelings, great is thy faithfulness, the word of God, the truth from that hymn based on the book of Lamentation, chapter 3. Great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every day. It just spoke to me and broke me down, reminding me of the fact that at the end of the day, great is our God. Lamentation chapter 3 talks about this prophet, the crying prophet, in the midst of struggle and trials and, and, and tribulation. In fact, sometimes self-doubt and, and whatever that it was going through, in the midst of that darkness, he's saying, great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every day. Wow, I have, God is my portion in my life. What about you today as you worship him? Are you really seeking the God that you make? Or are you really worshiping the God who made you? Psalm 100 that was read really is a great psalm that would provide a theology of worship. And to make it simple, worship according to Psalm 100 
is simply first and foremost about Yahweh, God, the great I am. It's not about us. It's never about us. It's about God. In fact, the first four verses contain seven imperatives to call God's people to come and sing praises and worship this Yahweh. Shout with joy, worship or serve the Lord, come before Him, acknowledge Him or know Him, enter His gates, give thanks, praise and bless His name. One commentator said, the primary datum of this psalm is that the Lord, as opposed to other claimants to deity, is God. What is your discipline of corporate worship? When you come in, are you coming in to get what you want? Acceptance? Friends? Some assurance that God is going to answer your prayer? Get kind of high five because you were leading worship or singing in the choir? What are you doing when you gather here to worship? Verse 3 said, know that this is Yahweh, the God. He's the creator. He made us and we are his. The concentration of corporate worship, this discipline is not about ourselves. It's to coming back to God, recognize that he is the maker of all. We didn't make him in our image. He made us in his image. And he is the caregiver. We are his, the sheep of his pasture. He's the great shepherd. He's the creator, the caregiver. He is it. He is the focus. And what is the focus of your life right now? Westminster Larger Catechism, question and answer, section 7 said, all my idols are reflections of my broken self. And only as I fall down and worship you do I find my whole again. Are you looking for some assurance that you can perform in your academic endeavor? Are you carrying relational burdens so that when you come in, you say, God, somehow change whoever that person is that I'm dealing with? Are you seeking some sense of self-assurance so that you may feel better about yourself? I don't know why you come in to do this worship service. I don't know what burdens you have. But here the psalmist reminds us that no, it's all about God. The first and foremost thing is to look up. See, all the brokenness that we have is being translated into the idols that we create. They become God's substitutes. But this psalm tells us that there's no substitutes. God is it. God has put eternity in our heart. We can only find rest in Him. And where are you resting right now? The great theologian and reformer John Calvin said 
the human heart. The human heart is an idol factory. The human heart is an idol making factory. Psalm 100 reminds us that theology is not about me, it's all about God. God is Yahweh. God is I am. I'm in the beginning. I am the end. I'm present with you. Come back to me to reset your heart. Not looking at the idols and the brokenness. But come back to me. God is our shepherd. He cares. He provides. He protects. Don't look for other things that satisfy your soul. Look to the shepherd. We are his sheep. And then verse 5 said, God is good. His unfailing love continues. And his faithfulness lasts from generation to generation. God is here. God cares. God is good. All the time. I hope you will continue to have this corporate worship. Because it is in this corporate worship that we need to reframe our heart posture. To bring us back to the fact that we need to come back to God to keep the main thing the main thing. It's not about how you're going to perform in your academic endeavor. It's not about how, how successful you are later on in life or, or doing well in your relationship or, or whatever. It's about coming back to God and say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because it's all about you. So how then should we prepare for worship? Let me quickly suggest a few ways. Here in verse 3, in the middle of the psalm, know that the Lord Yahweh is God. Yada is the Hebrew word. It's an intimate word that suggests that you're not just having head knowledge, but heart feeling with personal experience to know that this is our God. And if you really want to prepare to come to corporate worship, the main thing that is presupposed is that you're going to have your personal worship. Don't try to come here so that you can get a buzz and an excitement that you can go back out. Corporate worship presupposes that you have a vibrant personal worship. And that's the discipline that is interrelated with corporate worship. And if that's the case, maybe one of the things that you need to do before you come to worship and afterwards as well is that give thanks. This psalm talks about thanksgiving two, three times. Every day I do my journal for the last, I don't know how many years, I always start with this phrase, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for... Because when you start thanking God, you cannot stop but to 
praise him to continue on. And that's what the psalm said. Praise him, show for joy. Enter into gates with thanksgiving. You need to prepare your soul to to come to corporate worship by personally writing, remember well what God has done and thanking him and praising him. And the second way you need to do to practice corporate worship or to prepare for corporate worship, it maybe is to always have symbols or materials that would remind you of who this God is. It could be a sign in front of your laptop or your computer that when you're looking at it or something that you hold on to when you're reading, that yes, this is our God, the great I am. And I'm going to join the rest of the body to praise him, to reset my heart. Last but not least, to prepare for corporate worship and have that discipline, we are required to know that we all have our role to play by sharing with one another what God has been doing in our lives. When you start doing that, you'll be amazed how God can use you to touch lives for eternity. Setting our heart right, reframing our heart posture, require all of us to remember it's not about me, it's about God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. We recognize that it is so often so subtle we come into worship with the intent to really trying to get ourselves feeling better rather than giving you praise and letting you be the center of our lives. May you help us to come before you each time preparing to enter into your presence so that we will be changed together in spirit and in truth. And let the name of Christ be exalted and our lives be transformed. So may the God who created all of us, the great shepherd of the sheep, bless you and walk with you. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who forsook the glory of heaven to walk among us, dwell in our midst, reminds us that our God is with us, walking side by side. And may the Holy Spirit, who open our eyes and our ears to see the revealed truth and apply that, may God the Father, Son, and the Spirit be with us all. Amen.